Genesis chapter 28, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way and he went to Badan Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Badan Aram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth, and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. Jacob left Beersheba and sent out for Haram. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. 
Amen. We thank God for the reading. Genesis 28, the, the uh, first nine verses basically are about the advice of Isaac to, um, from uh, the, the advice of Isaac and Rebekah to Jacob, basically go and find yourself uh, a wife in a decent part of the country, in other words, from her own family. And then Esau, again, uh, going his own way, doing his own thing, uh, marries another one outside of the family of God. So we see the same story repeated. We're not going to look at those verses. We haven't really time tonight. We're going to uh, pick our studies up in verse 10. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, have it open there at Genesis 28 and verse 10. But before we do that, we're going to pray. Father, once again, we come humbly into your presence and we ask for your guidance and your help as we listen to your word and we pray that you will help us to be honest, to be willing to be changed by you in whatever way you see fit. We're not here tonight by accident as we have just been thinking. Your purposes, your plans, your decrees are perfect and here we are in your presence with your word before us, your spirit brooding around us. And we long, we long to glorify you in how you respond. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in his grace, we often meet God, we often encounter God in unexpected ways, in unexpected places, and at unexpected times. That's true in Scripture. Do you remember Moses, right, wandering in the wilderness, and he encounters God at the burning bush? Think of Isaiah going into the temple to grieve that King Uzziah had died, and the shaking temple meant that he encountered the living God. Think of Ezekiel and his vision of fire. Think of Peter and the miraculous catch of fish. The list goes on. Paul or Saul on the way to Damascus to, to kill some more Christians. The list goes on. Life-changing encounters with the living God. These occasions being pivotal, where there almost was before encounter and then after encounter, and particularly, the change, the radical change that occurred in these people's lives is something they will never forget, and we have in Scripture before us, where, in a sense, God pulled back the curtain, the veil was lifted up, and ordinary people like us encountered the true and living God. Genesis 28 is such a time for Jacob. In a sense, Genesis 28 is Jacob's burning bush. It's Jacob's miraculous catch of fish. It's Jacob's shaking in the temple. There's no evidence that Jacob expected this. He certainly needed it. But as we will see, the meeting with God was empowering and encouraging and life-changing. And our prayer should be for each other right now, even as we engage with God, our prayer should be this. May we meet you, God, tonight. 
now. May we encounter the sweet, beautiful, providential sovereignty of God. May we be filled with the Spirit and changed forever. Sometimes, of course, these encounters catch us off guard, shake us to the core. Where we see his glory, we see his sovereignty, we see his love, we see his grace with clarity in ways we had never seen before. Maybe tonight, (laughs) it could be that night for you, a Genesis 28 moment for you. Now, for us, it probably won't be as dramatic as as, uh, Genesis 28. But, you know, we don't set the agenda. We don't write the story. So it may be, and sometimes is, a sudden intervention. You're just merrily going on with life, and then suddenly, bang, God comes, and you encounter him in the strangest of ways. Or it may be a slow process where you feel your heart being changed. It may be during a time of mediocrity. You're just sailing along merrily, playing at faith. Or it may be in a time of backsliding. Maybe in a time of misplaced affections. You just know you love things in the world more than you love Jesus. And it's been like that for some time. And you're slipping and you're sliding. It may be tonight. Or it may be tomorrow. Or it may be on Thursday night that Christianity explored. I don't know. But your Bethel, your Bethel is where you will encounter God. You meet him. And you're never the same again. Let's think of Jacob's encounter with the living God. And um, we will see. Yeah, thank you. Sometimes this works, sometimes it doesn't. Jacob running, that's the first thing we want to see in verses 10 and 11. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. Well, five or 600 miles away. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Now, if you know the story so far, if you know anything about the story of of his granddad, Abraham, you will know that Previously, about 125 years previously, Ibram, as he was then, came from Haran to Bathsheba. Now Jacob is going from Bathsheba to Haran. A retracing of his granddad's journey. Two reasons. The first reason is this. He's running away from Esau, who wanted to kill him, basically. He, was, he faced the rage and the hatred of his brother, and so he's escaping that. But he's also looking for a wife. And he's going to his mother's people, a daughter of Uncle Laban. So this escape and this mission was the idea of his parents, as we read in verses 1 to 9. And off he goes, verse 10. He sets off. He is obedient. But he leaves everything behind, absolutely everything. Um, his security, the familiarity of home and family. And he sets off on a long, lonely journey and it can't have been easy. I mean, he was single. He had really no hope. He was alone. He faced unknown dangers. And he probably went a long, long way those first couple of days. And he's weary. He stops to rest. The sun has gone down. He's exhausted and, and despondent. And he picks a, a stone. 
for a pillow. And he falls asleep. Jacob was carrying a terrible weight of guilt. He had stolen his brother's birthright. He had stolen his brother's blessing. And he was feeling rotten and empty and guilty. This is how Kent Hughes puts it. How bitter it must have been for Jacob to know that his misery had been unnecessary. That it was the creation of his own unbelieving deceit and stupidity. Listen to this. That the vulture that was eating his vitals was reared in his own nest. The vulture that was eating his very heart was reared in his own nest. And Jacob should have known, you know what? Carrying this guilt is unnecessary. Leading the sinful life I've led is unnecessary. The deceit and the rebellion and the conniving and the manipulation, unnecessary. This sinful, stupid worldview that I've created in my own heart is like a vulture. It's destroying me. It's killing me. It's unnecessary. He should have realized that. And so should we. So should we because our rebellion is like a vulture that eats our very heart. And weary and worried, Jacob beds down for the night, exhausted in his loneliness, exhausted in his guilt, exhausted in his rebellion, and he seeks rest. And at that moment, as he put his head in the pillow, he had absolutely no idea, no idea of the life-changing encounter with God that was going to happen moments later. He wasn't expecting it. He probably didn't want it. He probably didn't even believe it was possible to have it. But it was a divine appointment. And such divine appointments, you see, are orchestrated by God himself. It's his timing, his place, his way, the burning bush, going into the temple, the vision of the fire of Ezekiel, the miraculous catch of fish, all orchestrated by God. And he does that, you see. He comes to us, possibly when we least expect it, when we don't want it, when we think we don't need it. He comes and he allows us to encounter him. It's always the initiative of our sovereign, providential God. So you know where this is going, don't you? What about you and me? Are we running like Jacob, ignoring God as best we can, even though we're here, backsliding? Or is John Piper talks about settling for lesser lovers, trapped in misplaced affections, the affection we once had for him somehow is going to other things and other people, and we're satisfied just with mediocrity and going along satisfying our conscience by coming to church and and going through the rituals, but we know deep down 
were running. Now, you say, how, how dare you judge me? I'm not judging you. You're, you're glad to know I'm not your judge, but I've been around long enough to know that in our company tonight, there's bound to be some who are either running at this moment in time or you're planning to run. You've made up your mind. You're slipping and you're sliding away. You're running. You've decided, I want the world and the things of the world more than I want Jesus. And you need to encounter him. You need God to pull back the curtain and you need him to let you see him again. You can't manufacture this, by the way. He alone can cause this to happen and you're here by divine appointment, if that is you. Where he makes himself known to us, maybe to you tonight. And when he does that, when he makes himself known to us, we're greatly privileged. We are highly favored. We are truly blessed because, you know, would you choose someone like that if you were God? Someone who's running? Someone who's sinning? Someone who's rebelling? Would you choose someone like that? No, you wouldn't. But he does. Because that's the God he is. God moves in the likes of our hearts. Jacob running. Jacob, go to the next slide there, please. The Jacob dreaming, verses 12 to 15. Let's read those verses again. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So as he lay down to sleep, I mean, did he recognize the mess he had made of his life because of his sin? I mean, did he wonder if he's ever going to achieve anything of value because of a deceit? And as he drifted off to sleep, he encountered God in a miraculous way, in a dream of all things. I mean, a vision is when you're awake. A dream occurs when you are asleep. And in the dream, Jacob sees a stairway or a ladder or a ramp, depending on what kind of image you have. One end resting on earth right beside him, and the other end reaching up to heaven. Verse 12, he had a dream where he saw a stairway resting on the earth and its top reaching to heaven. And the clear message surely is this. God is connected to the visible world of Jacob and the invisible world of heaven. He's connected. The two are connected. They're not separate. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on at the end of verse 12. The angels are the messengers of God, doing the will of God and bringing the message to God's people. They carry out the purpose and plans of God. And in verses 13 to 15, what do we have? We have three promises again. You'll have heard these promises before. Many descendants, one. Lots of land, two. God's very presence, three. 
See, God makes to Jacob the same grand covenantal promises he made to Abraham. He promised that the promises were, were made down the generational line, down the covenantal line. See, God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God saying, Jacob, this is my plan. And you're part of it, whether you like it or not. You're part of my plan. And after the grand covenantal promises had been made again, God explains the importance of the ladder. We see that in verse 15. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God's saying, Jacob, I'm showing you, I'm showing you what really is happening behind the scenes. Because I direct all the affairs of the earth, and I do it, in a sense, from heaven. And there's constant activity between heaven and earth. Jacob, you are in my care. Wherever you go, and whatever you do, whatever you have to face, I will be with you. I will keep you. As you're trying to escape your brother's rage, as you seek a wife 500 miles away, as you journey seemingly alone, as you deal with your sin and your guilt, I am with you. And he's saying, Jacob, the ladder is always there. The angels are always at work. I am always your God. It's typical of the gracious God that we have and worship and love, isn't he? Because Jacob is on the run because of his sin. Jacob was not seeking God. Jacob was not expecting grace, and yet it comes. God is actively involved in all the affairs of life and, and all the affairs of the church. Isn't that what keeps us sane and going on? Verse 13, notice, we haven't time to look at every little phrase, but there above it stood the Lord. See, the sovereign ruler of heaven and earth watches over Jacob. The sovereign ruler of heaven and earth watches over us. And now he's peering down on us. Are you aware that he's, in a sense, peering down on us right now? And he speaks to us. And he shows us grace. And he makes us grand promises. Now, what we're expected to do tonight, you see, is to see what we're supposed to see. See what we're supposed to see. We're supposed to see that God is active. He's personally involved. He's not dead, and he's not asleep, and he's not retired, and he's not disconnected with you and here and now. There's a clear link between his rule in heaven and his work on earth, and that's why we do pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jacob needs to see what we need to see, as one commentator puts it, that God is the architect of his plan, but he's also the administrator who brings it to pass. He's the architect of the plan. He's the administrator of how the plan comes to pass. He works all things 
together for good, Romans 8. He shows us providential care and he gives us evidence continually of his control. So the big lesson of the latter, Jacob, you're never going to be alone. Don't think you can ever escape me. I'm going to open doors and I'm going to close doors. I will protect you, preserve you, and provide for you. Can you see what this means? I want you to imagine that right beside you, at your feet, right now, there's a ladder, a stairway. It's right there now, by the way. You know you can't see it. It's there. It's always there. It's going to be there tomorrow. And next day, it rests at your feet. It rises to heaven itself. And it directly connects you to the will and way and power of the living God. And all the details of life you see are under his providential care. When you were born and when you will die, um, where you will study, those of you who are younger, where you will live, who you will marry or maybe not marry, how many children you might have, where you will work and where you will live in, in life. and Your days are numbered. All these things, you see, are part of the decrees and plans and purposes of God. He knows all these big things. In the meantime, he, he guides us and he directs us through what sometimes looks like chaos. You see, this is Yahweh, Elohim, the Lord, God, the promise-making, the promise-keeping God. Verse 15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Five times, I, 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 says the living God. He will keep his promises. He will bring about his purposes. Is there anybody else that we would rather be with and trust? So see this, learn this, know this, whatever your situation right now and in the future, this is his promise. So if you're young tonight or if you're old or if you're uncertain, if you're young or old, he's in control over you. He's constantly caring for you. Are you concerned about anything tonight? Maybe where you ought to study if you're thinking of, of university or, or what job you might apply for, an apprenticeship or a relationship that you may be thinking of entering into. You've got to see the ladder. And you've got to see God's activity and his involvement and you've got to hear God's promises and you've got to walk in his will. So whether you're single or widowed, comfortably rich or struggling and poor, whether you're healthy or sickly, whether you can see a clear plan ahead or there's uncertainty ahead, whether you're calm or whether you feel your life is in chaos, it doesn't make any difference. It's still the same truth. He's in control. The ladder is always connecting you to God. He stands over you. He, he's active for you. He watches you. That's Jacob dreaming and what it means. What about Jacob responding that's the last section. 
So Jacob wakes up, and look what he says there. Three things he says. Surely the Lord is in this place, verse 16. How awesome is this place, the house of God. And verse 17, this is the gate of heaven. So God had visited them there. God had revealed himself there. And these three things he says. Now, these three things we should say about our worship services, should we not? Because we're not here to earn merit, are we? We're not here to earn brownie points before God. We're not here to be entertained, I hope. We're not even here to be filled with knowledge. No. We want to be able to say, with all honesty, surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? It is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to convince us about these things. And we pray that he moves to create this kind of attitude in us about what we do here. Yes, I know sometimes the services may feel long. And maybe if you're young, maybe the preaching can be dull. Not when I'm preaching, of course. But. And maybe the choice of songs isn't your choice and Etc., 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 etc. But always, always, surely we can say the Lord is in this place. Here is the house of God, and it's awesome. Here is the gate of heaven. I think we've got to pray with this in mind. And we should pray expectantly for the preacher and for all who are involved here at the front and at the back. But you also got to pray for your own listening. God is here meeting us. God is here, and this is an awesome place. God is here, the gate of heaven. That's how Jacob responded, and that's how we should respond. By his spirit, he's here. By his word, he's here. David Wells, in his book, um, God in the Wasteland, writes these words. The fundamental problem in the evangelical world today is not inadequate technique, insufficient organization, or antiquated music. And those who want to squander the church's resources bandaging these scratches will do nothing to staunch this flow of blood that is spilling from its wounds. The fundamental problem in the evangelical world today is that God rests too inconsequently upon the church. His truth is too distant. His grace is too ordinary. His judgment is too benign. His gospel is too easy. And his Christ is too common. I mean, what a difference to Jacob when he could see that the Lord is in this place and it's awesome. And this is no other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. Look at verse 17. He was afraid. He was afraid. Holy fear, no silly giggling, no trivial response, no Jesus is my boyfriend kind of attitude, no high five to God, you know, come on mates, let's have a chat. Reverential fear. He was gripped, you see. We should never, must never outgrow our fear of God if we do this. If we do, by the way, outgrow the fear of God, We'll replace them very easily with our idols. We will um, become lukewarm. We may even die spiritually. 
And if that's happening in your heart right now, you know, there's only one thing you can do, and that's repent. I really expect after tonight, there's going to be a lot of prayer. But verse 18, there, there's um, this significant um, spiritual moment had to be marked by Jacob. And um, there's five things. I haven't time to look at them all, um, but you can read up later. Verse 18, he took the stone he, that was under his head and he, he sets it up as a pillar, a kind of uh, a memorial pillar, a, a clear mark. Um, and the oil, um, symbolic of the presence of God. And verse 19, we see the name changed from Luz to Bethel, house of God. And verse 20 and 21, we see these vows, a solemn oath, one of the longest vows in, in Genesis. Um, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey and I, that I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. Now, some people don't like this kind of uh, if, then. I, I don't see the problem here. I, I really don't. I, I think he's making a vow which we need to make. God, I vow, I vow to be different. And then you'll see the last one, the tithe, verse 22. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. See, this tenth is a key part of his consecration. Uh, we often overlook such uh, things. We, we tend to forget such things. But interestingly, what did Jacob have at this point in time? Absolutely nothing. He had absolutely nothing but the clothes on his back. He had absolutely nothing except the promises of God. And he says, God, I will. I will give you a tenth. And of course, if you are to be truly converted, that will include your money and your assets. Conversion affects absolutely everything. It's a bit that we want to leave out. We don't mind the stone and the oil and the names and the vows, but oh dear, oops, tithe. Jacob is stating that he's 100% in. He's fully committed. Here's how one writer puts it. Listen, God doesn't need your money. This church doesn't need your money. You know who needs to give? You. You need to give because of what it does in your life and in your heart. It's hard to receive more blessing when you have a clenched fist. It's hard to receive more blessing when you have a clenched fist. I think he's very honest saying this church doesn't need your money. We do need your money. <laughs> because if we don't, don't, the lights will go out, the heat will go off, the staff will be sacked. I'll be the last one here. You can't do without me. But, but seriously, Jacob's saying, I trust you, I worship you, I will serve you, and I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to give you your tenth. And that's just the beginning, by the way. Then you give offerings after that. Anyway, Jacob needs a miracle. 
and God bit by bit is slowly changing him. That's how he generally works, you know, bit by bit by bit by bit. Sometimes it's dramatic, but mostly, in my experience, it's bit by bit. Jacob doesn't deserve anything, and neither do we, but he receives a miraculous miracle of grace. And maybe, maybe you're not responding the way you could or should. Maybe. Maybe you've been around church now a long, long time. Maybe you've heard teaching over and over and over again. And maybe you've experienced something of God and his gospel, just a little taste, enough to keep you coming back. But as truth be told, it's not really made much difference. There's been little impact. In fact, if truth be told, there's less impact than there used to be. As one commentator says, you're on the team, so to speak, but you're playing by your own rules. You're on the team, so to speak, but you're playing by your own rules, just like Jacob. Do you know what? We're all like Jacob. I'm like Jacob. I run. I rebel. I want my own way. I need a gracious encounter with God. And maybe, maybe you sense that's what you need. And that's what's happening. So what do you do? What do you do? Just the last slide there, please. How do I respond? Well, do you know what? It's all bound up in guess who? Jesus. We saw this just a few weeks ago, didn't we, in John 1, 51? I tell you the truth, he said to Nathaniel, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I'm the stairway. I'm the ladder. I'm the door. I'm the gate. It's not complicated, you know. He came, he died, he rose again, he ascended, and he's returning. The gospel is very simple. It's not complicated. And it's never too late for you to learn. It's never too late for you to change. What does it look like? Well, for me, for us, it's confession. It's repenting. It's committing in faith. Do you know what the three parts of faith is? You know, that idea of, I believe the facts in my head. I, I, I got the knowledge there. But secondly, the facts for myself, it's in my heart. And then the commitment to him. 100%, the will, the, the head, the heart, the will. This, you see, is the real encounter. Do you need to encounter God tonight? Maybe your, your rebellion is not as grand as, as Jacob's. You're not running physically, but you're running spiritually. And God's has brought you to this point, this place, to encounter him. My prayer, our prayer, is that you will reach out and experience him. And you will never be the same again. Father, thank you for your amazing grace to people like us. the Jacobs of this world, how we, 
how we can get so caught up in wrong things, so easily sidetracked. And yet you graciously come to us and you meet us and you long to change us. We pray for those sweet encounters to occur in the hearts of my friends, my brothers and sisters here tonight. Some maybe for the first time who need to be saved. Others who have just been slipping and sliding away. We're here because you have brought us and we're here to listen to your word. And we pray that by your spirit, you will speak into our hearts and minds. Thank you again for your amazing grace. And we bring our prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen.